Hello there. Welcome back to the next series of the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth, the personal finance blogger right here in New Zealand. And once again, I've tracked down a diverse bunch of Kiwis who were each more than willing to share their money journey with me, something I'm always so grateful for. You will hear helpful, relatable stories from Kiwis who are sharing their experiences, their tips and their points of view on personal finance right here in New Zealand. And just quickly before I get into it today, I also wanted to give a shout out to the hundreds of people who have left such incredible reviews after listening to these very podcasts. I know it is a hassle to write a review, so I just want you to know that I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. It really does help others track down this podcast and it makes new listeners feel confident that if they do use their very valuable time to take a listen, the chances are that they will find it useful too. So cheers for that. So righto, let's get started because this first episode is a long one this week. Now my connection with Chris started in mid-2020 with an email and the email began like this. Ruth, you need to hear this, you really do. Unintentionally, you've brought me on a journey of financial awakening and I love the happy saver, but I hate it too. Via my podcast, he had stumbled upon the fire movement and he was wondering if it was some sort of cult So clearly I had some explaining to do. Now you better believe that when I get an email like that, I am bracing for impact. What on earth have I said and what's the fallout from that? Chris went on to tell me that it all started in mid-2020 when he was, he said, happily living paycheck to paycheck when he made the fatal mistake of googling the words financial podcast. At the time he was picking apples and he needed something to keep his mind occupied and up popped this very podcast and he thought to himself, yeah, that sounds like me, I'm happy, my life is pretty cool, I'm a good saver, I've got about 15 grand in the bank and a good wee beekeeping business on the side and this podcast sounded right up his alley or so he thought. That was until he was a few episodes in and at which point he told me he was a mixture of emotions excitement, confusion, anger, shame and nervousness. Plus he had a million questions pinging around in his head about how he has been handling money up until now and how that's all about to change. Well that was the start of Chris's journey and here he is just 10 months later, a changed man and featured on the very podcast that kicked it all off. But before I crack into it today I just have a very quick message from Pocketsmith, today's sponsor. For me, being good with money simply has to start with a budget, and that is probably the most common tip I give to people, to track your money using Pocketsmith. A budget gives me permission and freedom to spend, knowing that I have all my other short, medium and long-term money goals covered. Now, I love the nitty-gritty details of budgeting. My husband Johnny does not, so I can personalise Pocketsmith using custom dashboards to show me all the juicy details, while he just wants an overall snapshot of how our month is going. So however you like to view your money, you can customise Pocketsmith to see the insights that matter to you, whether you're a household of one or many. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, they've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. Writing up this podcast was certainly one of the hardest ones I've done because Chris is pretty intense when he is on a topic. I come across people like him from time to time. There's no half speed and you either get on board the bus or get the hell out of the way. And of course, I got on the bus and that resulted in a lot of enormous emails back and forth, a phone call and then a catch up with him and his partner Rosemary for this podcast. 
So boy, oh boy, did I have some notes to draw on, but getting them all in chronological order was pretty tough going. He said that he had a bit of a track record of climbing boots and all into things and tended to say, ready, fire, aim, before he knew all the facts. But he had enough good sense to do a heck of a lot more research on this occasion and he wanted to share his progress with me. So here goes. Back in March 2020, the whole of New Zealand was in full COVID lockdown and Chris, who was 33 at the time, saw this as an opportunity to pause and reflect on where his life was at. He had this feeling that his life was off kilter. He was working full time and he had a beekeeping business on the side. When he actually ran his numbers, his side business had not been doing as well as he thought it was and had been consistently running at a loss for the first three years that he had it, finally making a profit in the 2020 season. So that came as a bit of a wake-up call. He was in a wonderful relationship with Rosemary, who was 34, yet was worried that it might not be okay if he continued working his guts out working those two jobs. He wondered what it was all for, but he guessed that it was to enable you to buy the stuff to make you happy, right? He thought it might be time for a career change and he listed out a number of things that took his interest and then he spent a few weeks deeply investigating each and he settled on becoming a primary school teacher. But to enable that to happen, he really would need to get his money sorted. Now in this podcast you will hear more about Chris than about Rosemary and that's simply because in the early days he was pretty much writing to me on the down low as he was trying to wrap his head around what he was rapidly learning about fire or financial independence retire early. And that's a pretty weird position for me to find myself in and I especially worried that Rosemary would pretty quickly start asking, who the hell is Ruth and why are you emailing her? So while answering his questions and sending him useful information and contacts, I was very much encouraging him to open up to his partner too. And finally, for this podcast, I got to speak to her too. And I started off with an apology, but it became pretty clear pretty fast that she was as inspiring as he was. These two grew up at opposite ends of the whenua, him in Southland and her near Auckland. Rosemary started life in Japan, but moved to New Zealand when she was just a little toddler. And she has always had a zest for life, loving the outdoors and not living life stuck behind a desk. Life won't find you, she told me. You have to go out and find it. Be positive and try something new. She lists free diving as one of her interests. So yeah, safe to say she is interesting and life got a whole lot more interesting for sure after her and Chris got together in late 2017. He'd already led a pretty interesting life himself. He was homeschooled from the age of 13. He had a go at university but didn't have the drive to finish, instead taking the knowledge he learned straight to work. And he has worked heaps of roles from a plant nursery worker and then a native tree propagator in Southland, a forest fighter in Aussie, a snowboard instructor in the US, a paramedic in Auckland, and then more recently as a beekeeper. And now at the age of 34, he has enjoyed all of the experiences he has had, but it was natural for him to come to the end of an interest and then find another one. Chris met Rosemary when they happened to move to the Waikato at the same time to each pursue work. His net worth was about $20,000 in his KiwiSaver with about $1,500 in the bank, and that's it. In 2016, Rosemary had just relocated back to New Zealand after a few years spent away, and she had about $9,000 in her KiwiSaver and no money. She actually borrowed $100 from her mum to put some fuel in her car to get her down to the Waikato. Now just a side note here, personally I think there is a huge merit in the fact that for the most part you can't touch your KiwiSaver and that it's locked in, 
Had that not been the case, these two would have both been stone cold broke instead of just broke. Although I am sure many would not like to admit as much, sometimes the government knows the human psyche better than we know it ourselves, and locking money in until retirement is going to be a godsend for many in the years to come, I think. Now, both consider themselves natural savers, but until now, neither really had a place to channel those savings into, so up until recently, money just went away. Rosemary clearly remembers being given a whopping $2,000 at the age of just seven and walking to school considering the merits of term deposit rates and what would happen if she left her money in one for a year. She joined the bank that was closest to her house, which just happened to be the ASB, and she found a term deposit rate of 7.5%. Those were the days. Next time I see a kid walking to school, I will be wondering what they're thinking about because what seven-year-old thinks about term deposit rates? She had also bought into Meridian Energy when they partially privatised and also Mercury Energy. She had no idea what she was doing, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. And that's been her investing vehicle ever since, more or less, term deposits. Until recently, that is, when in September 2020, she had a term deposit ready to expire. Term deposit rates were dropping like a stone, and she didn't know what to do with the money, yet she had a partner banging on about index funds. She was asking around for information about investing by asking the question, what would you do with a million dollars? Where would you invest it? Which was not turning up the most useful answers. She even looked into the Japanese stock market, but her granddad warned her off, so she thought her only option was KiwiSaver, really. Both had worked their way back from very serious injuries long before they met. She was in a major car accident in 2012, which involved an extensive recovery, and he had failed to execute a snowboarding move in 2013 called, he said, a switch backside 720, which resulted in, he said, an epic fail and a two-year recovery. Both suffered severe brain trauma and broken bones, which ended Rosemary's university career where she was working towards becoming an ultrasound technician and ended his paramedic career. When they told me the extent of their injuries, it just drove home to me how precious life is and that it can change on a dime. I think too that it's made these two especially resilient to adapting to change. Now it's fortunate that both he and Rosemary have a wide variety of skills and a willingness to adapt because as lockdown progressed, they both lost their jobs. He had dabbled around the edges of making some changes, but it was about to move up a gear, and in May 2020, there was no hesitation to get back to paid work, and they both started work on an orchard picking apples, and it was here that he first googled the words financial podcasts, and the happy saver popped up. Now for the next couple of days, Rosemary kept asking him what he was listening to as he picked apples, but he brushed her questions off because He couldn't give an adequate answer because he simply didn't understand all this new information about becoming financially independent that was coming into his ears. And if he couldn't understand it, then how could he explain it to her? He wasn't to realise at the time that Rosemary was actually pretty ripe for learning, given her term deposit dilemma. Prior to starting at episode number one, he thought he was pretty good with money. Less than five years ago, he had put Auckland in his rearview mirror and moved to a new town with about $1,500 to his name. That money was in the bank and earning a couple of bucks interest each month, also known as free money, he said. What's not to be happy about? He found a good job until he lost it. He had started up a business, and he thought he was pretty good with money. 15 episodes in, he said he realised how useless and ignorant he had been with his money, and started asking himself how he could improve and what he was doing wrong. 
Now, while Rosemary was oblivious to what was happening inside his head, in the days that followed, he wrote down question after question as a direct result of all of the stories of other Kiwis who had shared their story with money with me on this podcast. So for all of those who have gone before, don't let me hear you say that your story is not worth sharing because Chris is proof that it is. He was asking questions like, what is an index fund? Who is simplicity? What is fire? He investigated the providers of Colonel, Hatch, InvestNow and Sharesies. He wanted to know why the fees you pay matter so much. What's Warren Buffett's $1 million bet? If it's this easy, why is everyone not doing it? And who is Mr Money Mustache and the Mad Scientist and the Happy Saver? He spent the evenings over the next couple of days researching and learning the answers to his questions. Rosemary was smelling a rat, but still he kept it to himself, telling her instead he was researching beekeeping stuff. And suddenly Chris was hooked into all this financial stuff, and it was very out of character. And a woman's intuition is rarely wrong. He dug into his KiwiSaver, checking it for the first time since he was 24 years old, and asking himself why, with a balance of just $39,000, was he paying a company $651 or 1.67% a year to manage his account. Yet this provider called Simplicity that he keeps hearing about only charges $147 or 0.4%. Why didn't he know about the impact of fees on an investment for all the years he had been a member? It really annoyed him. Once he was happy with what he had learned, he switched his fund over to a growth fund with Simplicity. At the same time, around May of 2020, he also opened a New Zealand share fund with Simplicity and deposited $7,000 of his $15,000 into it. He read up on budgeting and discovered the importance of tracking his expenses and said to himself, I think my wallet is going off partying on the weekends, so it's about time I find out where all the action is and where it's going without me. He made up his own spreadsheet to track all of his income and expenses, with categories for this and that and separate tabs for his business as well. He then plugged in all his monthly numbers for rent and food and transport and utilities. Then finally, on about day 15 since my podcast had ruined his life, he showed Rosemary what he had been up to, and he shared with her all of the spreadsheet wonder. Her reaction? Meh. She was unfazed, didn't care all that much, and questioned why he had gone to all this effort, which was a shame because he said that he knew she was good with money and would want to optimise her finances too. But because that approach of bamboozling her with numbers and spreadsheets didn't hit home with her, he needed to back up the truck a bit and find a different strategy. It was not enough to show her the how of financial independence. He really needed to get her excited about the why. Next, he started reading the book Playing With Fire and was engrossed, reading it within two days because Chris and the author Scott Rikens were dealing with many of the same issues and he gave some ideas on how to deal with them. Chris always thought he was a slow reader, but he began devouring books on personal finance. In quick succession, he read Playing With Fire and Choose F.I. He read the book that I recommend to most people, and that is The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins, and summarized it with the thought, investing doesn't have to be hard. In fact, it's much easier if it's simple. You spend less than you earn, invest wisely, avoid debt. He read my other favorite book, The Richest Man in Babylon by George S. Klassen, in just one day, and he noted down a few things that really connected with him. Invest a portion of all you earn, avoid debt, avoid getting rich quick schemes, invest into something you understand, keep an emergency fund so you can protect your whanau and automate things so you don't have to think about it. 
There are some other key points in this book, but what I like about what Chris noted down is that he was pulling out elements that he could really relate to. And that is what we each need to do when we are educating ourselves. Keep what is meaningful to your own financial journey. All these resources I've just rattled off are amongst my favorites, so I'm going to link to them in the show notes for you. Just 18 days into this quest for knowledge, he took the time to sit and reflect, and he shared this with me in an email. He felt confused, angry, ashamed, excited, and very nervous, he said. He was discovering a lot of new knowledge and lots of cool strategies on how to improve, but the more he learned, the more he discovered how much he didn't know. He had thought he was good with money, but then he came to realize he had made some fundamental mistakes along the way, just relying on his bank to be everything for him. And he was ashamed as he realized how irresponsible he had been with his money up until now, how he had made excuses and blamed his financial situation on things that had happened in his past, things that he both did and didn't have control over, and which left him bitter and upset. He was in a cycle and he wanted out. He was working his guts out, paying for a lifestyle he was not even enjoying. He was looking for the million dollar idea to get rich, but he was beginning to realize from the people that I interviewed for my podcast and from all the books he was reading, that isn't how it's done. On that day, with the book Playing With Fire running through his head and messing with his thoughts, he headed out the door for a long run. He needed to figure out, he said, how to get Rosemary on board so they could work the stuff out together. He was confident that she knew more about money than him, so he kept trying. He realised he needed to slow down and get her on board because he couldn't go far without her by his side. She thought he was running away from something, but he was actually running towards something and initially he struggled because he couldn't explain concepts to her like financial freedom that he didn't fully understand. But he said, when you find yourselves both unemployed and picking apples together, given time, you do find plenty of opportunities to talk to each other. That and taking a short holiday together, a romantic retreat, if you will, because he's quite the romantic, something they love to do from time to time. In the book Playing With Fire, the author Scott asked his wife Taylor to write a list of 10 things that add the most value to her life, things that make her feel truly satisfied on a weekly basis. So Chris and Rosemary created lists of their own, with the goal being to reveal these lists to each other while on their romantic retreat, compare them and see if there was any overlap. Kindly, these two have shared their lists with me, and the types of things that were on there were having a coffee together, taking cheap romantic retreats, walking and playing tennis together, spending time with Rosemary's horse, eating chocolate, beekeeping, reading books, taking trips to the beach, gardening, picnicking, and reflecting on life and visiting family. They revealed their list to each other at the top of Mount Taranaki, of all places. After reading this book, Johnny and I actually did the same thing, not not at the top of Mount Taranaki, I should point out. And um, what did and didn't surprise me is that there was a lot of overlap between our lists and that most of the things on it have nothing to do with money. And I think that's the whole point. We can get so tied up in the pursuit of money and an effort to find happiness and meaning when actually the things that will bring us that the fastest can generally be found by spending time with those around you. Getting Rosemary on board took time, and I can see why he enjoyed the book Playing With Fire so much, because there were so many similarities. In it, Scott was just like Chris, researching to the max, in secret, more or less, discovering and learning so much, and then kind of dumping it on his partner, who didn't have the benefit of all of that reading and learning. So it's no surprise that she thought he had lost his mind a bit, And for the first time, they actually had an argument or two about his newfound passion. 
But conversation by conversation, he did ignite a spark in Rosemary, and as she asked questions about things, he answered as best he could, knowing that his answers were not perfect, but they could work it out together. She said that they got on the same page progressively, but not smoothly. As luck would have it, Rosemary, who had always just used term deposits at her bank to invest her money, was becoming more and more, in her words, insulted by the low rates they were offering. So she was keen to hear of an alternative. Chris, as it just so happened, now knew what that alternative was. From this point on, they were pretty united and working towards a common goal. Together they decided to pursue fire or financial independence retire early. He developed a bit of a mission statement which read, to work towards FI by living with intentionality and purpose, investing 50% of our income into index funds. Our aim is to fire before we are 50, allowing us the opportunity to pursue meaningful work that ignites our passions with the freedom and flexibility to contribute to endeavours we feel are worth our time. This financial awakening happened all in the space of a couple of weeks, and it's something that I'm privileged to regularly witness. Hearing this mission statement told me that the financial battle was already 90% won because a large part of being successful financially is having your head in the right space, and from this point they just needed to start building themselves up. There was one note that he wrote down that I thought was crucial as well, and that was to not do any investing until they were confident that they understood what they were investing in. And as I'll tell you in a minute, he did make one false start and jump the gun. That's a big takeaway for anyone listening to this because I get to meet a lot of people who discover investing for the very first time and are almost panicked when they jump in and they don't want to miss out any longer. But just back up a bit would be my advice. You've already been missing out for a long time, so what's another month or two in the grand scheme of things when that time can be spent educating yourself about the right investment pathway for you? Apart from a shared flat account where they each contribute $1,100 each month to cover rent, power, food, holidays, dates and any other joint expenses, at this stage this engaged couple, yep they got engaged, run largely separate finances which is entirely appropriate for this stage of their lives. So Chris set about making financial arrangements on his own while Rosemary concentrated on her own money. He said that up until now his accounting skills had been primitive but he used the free assistance that the IRD actually offers to get an accurate record of how his business had been performing. Up until then, he appeared to be mistaking turnover for profit, and a closer inspection revealed that he lost money more years than he made it. And after looking carefully into the finances of his beekeeping side hustle, he decided to radically change how he was going about things, and he began to sell off about two-thirds of his equipment, restructuring it to keep only the most profitable parts thereby slashing his workload, yet maximising his profits. In 2021, he is on track to earn a profit of five dollars to $6,000 from this now manageable side hustle. He invested the money that he got from selling parts of his beekeeping business into the Colonel New Zealand 20 fund, and his plan is to build this up to $100,000 over time. But he didn't pick them just because he heard them mentioned on a podcast. No way. He wanted to become an educated investor, remember. So he rang them up, he got Kat from Colonel on the phone, and he said he asked her literally a hundred questions. Why limit yourself, he figured, when they were so open to answering them. A well-worn phrase, too well-worn if you ask me, is that you should seek professional advice, preferably from a financial advisor when you are looking to invest. But many of them won't want small clients just starting out. They want people with a higher net worth 
so that they can get them invested in products that then return an income to the financial advisor. The better alternative is to find an independent fee-only financial advisor, but they don't come cheap and you will pay them a one-off fee of anywhere between two to $6,000 up front and that's simply out of the league of many. So I want you to know that you can be your own advisor. You just need to seek out the information and resources yourself and you can pick up the phone and speak with people at these companies. He came away convinced that passive investment simply works and was an investment strategy that suited his lifestyle. He said stuff real estate and all the hassle And while he really enjoyed running a business, it was just far too complex and ultimately not overly profitable, but he had found a good alternative. He was strategic in his sell-down of his business assets that he owned outright, not just dumping stuff, but carefully considering when he sold and for how much so he could maximise his freed-up cash and he could then invest. He said that he didn't have much gear, but what he had was of high value and he had a lot of money tied up in it. But now he felt he had a good understanding of how this Colonel NZ20 fund worked and he felt very comfortable and confident to invest in it. He knew he still had a lot to learn, but he had more than enough knowledge to start. Like a snowball gathering pace, he kept reaching out for more information. He got in touch with Brady at Kiwi Girl on a Budget, who I interviewed in episode one, and both he and Rosemary sat down for a coffee and a chat with her about the changes she'd made. I absolutely love that this podcast is connecting people up in real life. Now, Brady will be the first to say that she is not an investment professional, but her and her husband Paul did execute an epic climb out of a mountain of housing debt and are now steadily investing themselves towards financial freedom using index funds, so there was a lot that they could teach these two, that's for sure. Just a few short weeks later, in July 2020, Chris decided to withdraw his $7,000 from the Simplicity Investment Account the one that he could access outside of KiwiSaver, and move it to Kernel. Lo and behold, in just three short months, it had ridden the wave of the share market recovery and had grown to $8,347. And this was a timely example to show Chris that the principles he was learning of passive investment into broad-based funds actually worked. And another key lesson that he is clearly still learning is to learn first and then invest so as not to chop and change funds. But one thing at a time, right? At about this point, Chris and I must have exchanged a few emails about the vehicle he owned and my thoughts on debt, because he'd written in his notes for himself, not sure if I completely agree with Ruth about zero debt, but I have to admit that she's been doing this a hang of a lot longer than me, and what she says goes along with the principles taught and all the other resources I'm learning about. He began to think, investigate, and calculate the cost of owning his truck, for which he had paid $24,000. Because now that he was downscaling his business, his ute was not really necessary anymore. And I have to admit that there are a lot of people who are not fans of my get out of debt. And yes, your truck is a depreciating bottomless pit of money way of looking at the world. But in a lot of cases, once people do a deep dive into their own situation, the idea of selling a vehicle becomes their own idea and a no-brainer. He did a quick breakdown of his annual running costs, noting down fuel, insurance, rego, WAF, road tolls, maintenance, servicing and tyres and he worked out that his vehicle was costing him $5,894 per year, $491 a month or $113 a week to run. He even went so far to work out that it was costing him 33 cents for every one kilometre he drove. Safe to say he likes his details. 
After working this out, he concluded that the above calculations confirm my truck is nothing but a draining liability. And he decided to sell it and invest that money instead and buy a bike to get around or just walk. He initially thought he was a winner because his truck sold for just a bit less than what he bought it for. But once you deduct all those expenses, that clearly is not true. By this time, he had developed a new clear career direction and had been accepted to train as a primary school teacher. He had calculated his three-year course fees at about $25,000 total, all of which he will use an interest-free student loan to pay for. He intends to invest the money he does have and over time see it receive capital gains and dividends that will grow the total amount. To cover his living costs, he will work a part-time job and when the holidays come, he'll work full-time. More on this in a minute. Now, in September 2020, he reached out to another person who was on my podcast, and that's Brett, who was in episodes 20 and 42. Now, these two have a bit in common because Brett was another person who got in touch with me early on, and I got to sit on the sidelines and watch him transform his life. I need to do an update on him, actually, um, as his financial situation has gone from strength to strength. Now, I love how Chris and Rosemary have reached out to people that have interested them, and I'm always happy to connect people together. New Zealand is a small and welcoming place, and it's not that hard to do. He was also steadily working his way through each and every Choose FI podcast, which is no mean feat as there are a lot of them, and he felt that they were really adding value to his life, information he could then share with Rosemary. He also found a lot of inspiration from the Aussie Firebug blog and podcast. Now by September, Rosemary had picked up a better job again as a data analyst in a genetics lab, earning $49,500 a year plus bonuses. He was winding down from work while gearing up to start his teaching study. The two of them had also started to create little side hustles together by selling plants, tiger worms of all things, and coffee sacks. And this is consistently contributing about $200 a month to their shared budget now. And this is where you start to see couples really come together when they're working together on a common goal that creates shared income. By now, Chris also had a few key things locked in, and that is that there is immense value in simplicity when it comes to investing. Just keep it simple and easy to understand. He had implemented a $10,000 emergency fund for his personal life, which represented about nine months of expenses, as well as $5,000 for his business. He was budgeting for daily expenses and tracking these costs in a written budget. He was setting money aside for upcoming events, which are also known as sinking funds, and he was regularly and consistently contributing to his Simplicity KiwiSaver and also investing into index funds outside of his KiwiSaver. He had correctly worked out that chasing fire is not just about finances and savings. It's about pursuing happiness, living with intentionality, and purpose, and it's about making emboldened decisions and pursuing goals in order to add value and contribute not just to your own life, but to the lives of others, which in turn makes you happy. By November 2020, he was saying, we, a lot more than I, and working together this couple had by this stage managed to slash their expenses and more than halve their food bills. He calculated he was managing a 43% savings rate, and what of the truck? Well, he sold that for 21500 and invested that money in the Colonel New Zealand 20 fund. He was pretty sad to see it go, and I do admit to a slight bit of guilt here, but only a tiny bit, as there are far too many young guys driving around in New Zealand in utes that they can't actually afford. But hey-ho, it was worth it because with selling down parts of his business, 
he now had a net worth of almost $69,000 that was now invested and working for him. And there will be plenty of time in the years ahead to get another truck, Chris. Rosemary now has her money sorted and she has managed to do it with far less fanfare than Chris because that's her personality type. Her primary goal was to find something better than the term deposits at the bank that was not even keeping up with inflation. Apparently, Colonel ran a seminar in late 2020 and Rosemary and Chris both went along. Dean Anderson, who's the founder and CEO of Colonel, took it and she will now only refer to Dean as Mr. Smiley because that's what Rosemary calls him. She listened to him give an informative talk on the funds that they offer. She did her research and was then happy to sign up. For her, money is a really important thing to worry about. And now that she has her investments sorted, well, she no longer has to worry about it, she said, knowing that Mr. Smiley can handle things from here as long as she just keeps regularly contributing. She said she didn't just go in blindly with Colonel, but quickly did her homework on picking a fund. She likes to look at the percentage she is saving and not the dollar amount, which is appropriate for people aiming for fire. And of the money she has invested with Colonel, she has about $82,000 in the New Zealand 20 fund and $43,000 in the Global 100. With the new Moonshots Innovation Fund they've just created, she's also starting to invest and currently has about $7,000 in there, which she anticipates building up to about 10% of her Colonel portfolio. She now also continues the theme of many that I've interviewed and also has her KiwiSaver with Simplicity and a Growth Fund. Plus, she still has her Meridian and Mercury shares, which give her biannual dividends into her bank account. She keeps an emergency fund of $8,500 cash in the bank too. But now that she has investments sorted and a plan in place, she's pretty happy and this does not occupy much of her time anymore. She has better things to worry about, she said, namely getting her career to become an ultrasound technician in a medical imaging clinic back on track. That car accident took a long time to recover from, but now she is ready and excited to reach her potential. Her current job is fine. She works with a great team of people, she said but she feels underutilized and not overly inspired. So now with a clear vision for her money, for her, it's all about actively pursuing the career that she has her heart set on. So can you see how different these two really are? You could not meet two more opposite people in the way they research important decisions, but neither are wrong and they're just going about the same goal of becoming financially independent differently. And Chris is quite the romantic, saying that putting love into your relationship is far more important than the money. The concept of FIRE is more than just money, it's a mindset. By following FIRE, they are choosing to follow a community who choose to think differently. Family and friends sometimes question their sanity, he said. But if you have a plan and are confident and focused and intentional and have purpose, well, it just brings more value to life. They plan to retire at the age of 50 and they want to retire to something. In an ideal scenario, she will be working as an ultrasound technician who loves her job, but she will no longer need the money. Money will no longer be the motivation to go to work. Chris will be a part-time teacher, teaching because he loves it, not for the paycheck. And this can be the confusing part about FIRE, the retire early part. And the point is that retirement is not quitting work entirely and sipping cocktails on a cruise while bobbing around the ocean. Instead, retirement will mean they continue doing what they love, and if that includes paid work, well, so be it. If it doesn't, well, that is fine too. Being financially independent gives you the opportunity to choose what to do with your time, and one of those things he would like to do more of is volunteer and contribute to others because that produces the feelings of happiness he is after, 
because he's worked out that for him, the standard path of consumerism will only bring you temporary happiness. Because they are in their mid-30s and just working this stuff out, I did wonder what advice either good or bad their parents taught them about money. For Chris, handling money was not something his parents really talked about with him and his siblings, but they did speak with their actions, he said. His dad had a good job, earning six figures, but people would not have known that they were wealthy. He was shown a compound interest calculator when he was young, and that stayed with him. And when he was 16, they did a round-the-world trip, and he was expected to financially contribute by working and saving up, and he ended up contributing quite a few thousand dollars to the family pot to help out. That was how they taught him, he said, by doing. Rosemary, on the other hand, was told, it's your money, you deal with it. And although it would come up in conversations sometimes, and they would answer questions if she asked her parents, learning about money was largely left up to her, as the example of her being given money as a seven-year-old shows. In that information void, once she was old enough, the bank offered her suggestions instead, like, do you know you qualify for an interest-free bank account or an overdraft or you have been pre-approved for a credit card? Fortunately, she knew she was being sold to and didn't like it, but the result was that she never understood how to make her money work for her, and it was not until the apple-picking job when the conversation started about investing that she really finally began to learn a bit more. One lesson she's really learned over these last few months is what they are on about when they talk about risk and share market investing being for long-term saving for 10 years plus. She's learning that when they say you have to ride the highs and the lows, well, they actually really mean it. They mention positive 10-year returns when they are marketing an investment, but you really need to be prepared for the negative returns. For example, the first month she was in Colonel, her balance went down and she thought, oh shit, here we go. But the second month, it made more money than it had made in term deposits in the last two years. So she is now more mentally prepared for these fluctuations and understands that they are normal and expected and it now no longer surprises her and she doesn't dwell on it. She said her money had previously only been working part-time and now she feels like it's working full-time. How about if I gave them $10,000 right now? What would they do with it? She would put it in the new Colonel Kenshow Moonshots Innovation Fund. He would go and have a long weekend away, a romantic retreat, have a talk about it, and then probably put it in Colonel. Now, there is talk about them getting married, but for now they keep separate accounts and have one account for shared expenses. They said that it's something they are talking through at the moment, with one of the drivers being that if they join accounts, there will only be one admin fee to pay something that had Rosemary instantly on board. There is now a real openness about their money and they are thinking ahead, which is fantastic. So what about their three main financial habits, the things that they do just automatically do? Chris loves the book, The Richest Man in Babylon, and he says to pay yourself first. So for Chris, at least 20% of his after-tax money goes straight into investments and he doesn't even think about it. What's left is what he has to work with and he invests more if he can to get his savings rate up high. Number two is that he has automated these processes, a key component of becoming a regular investor. And number three, not exactly a habit as such, more a good motto to live by, is to only invest into something that he knows and understands. Rosemary's first habit and instinct is to save the money she has worked hard for instead of spending it. And number two is that she thinks of her income savings as a percentage and not as a number. Think of percentage saved instead of percentage spent, she said. Very hard phrase to say. And number three is to think she'll be right. Just relax. There are so many things in life that can wind you up. Don't let money be one of them. Have good habits. Don't buy the tally on a payment plan. 
and be smart. So what is their biggest financial triumph? For Rosemary, it was meeting Mr. Smiley from Colonel. Such a cool guy, she said, and she can now see her pathway to fire at 50. For Chris, it's the learning and the growth he has got from all of these sources, such as the Simple Path to Wealth, Choose FI and the Richest Man in Babylon, etc., as they all have a trickle-down effect on his learning, growth and development. In fact, in February 2021, they went out to celebrate the fact that Chris's net worth has tipped $100,000. But he said it's not so much the dollar amount they were celebrating, it's the personal growth they've achieved. Just dwell on that for a moment. He's gone from feeling like a financial failure in March 2020 to feeling empowered and in control just one year later. Another success has been the restructuring of his beekeeping business because that's where his journey started really when he took a deep dive into his profit and losses, which included factoring in the huge amount of time he had invested. He downsized his business and reassessed who his ideal customer actually was, then went after them and he is finally earning a hopefully consistent profit. Chris has a favourite saying, and it's something like this, if you have a problem, figure out what 95% of other people are doing, and then deeply question it. Be the 5%. Because most of the time, you'll find yourself walking in the opposite direction. So in the case of his business, when most people were chasing one type of customer, he found a niche for himself by working with the other type, the remaining 5%. And as for their greatest financial flops, well, it's more about the human relationships than the money and the fact that if you get the former wrong, the latter suffers as well. But using those setbacks, they are pouring that knowledge into their own relationship. And from an outsider looking in, they seem like a very sound couple. And if the only secrets they keep from each other are the fact that one of them was secretly researching financial independence, then I think they're going to be okay. So after a transformational 12 months, where are they headed now? Chris has now begun three years of study to retrain to become a primary school teacher and with a bit of life experience behind him, I think he's going to make a really good one. My biggest question was, how are you going to pay for it? Already he has taken out an interest-free government-funded student loan of $7,000 to cover his course costs only for his first year of study and this is his only debt. Which I have to be honest about here, I was disappointed to hear about given the amount of resources he references most of whom say don't take out debt. So of course I questioned his plans and was reassured to know that unlike far too many who embark on a tertiary course, he actually has a plan. A few actually. By his calculations, living frugally, he should be able to cover all of his monthly $1,100 living costs and expenses by working full-time in his holidays. After spending six months settling into his course, he will also reassess if he has the time to pick up part-time work during the semester as well. Despite applying for many scholarships, he was unsuccessful. If there are any philanthropists out there listening to this who want to offer him one, just get in touch. But because of his age, he did qualify for a student allowance, giving him $236 a week, which will go a long way towards covering those living costs. Of course, he now has the money there and he could have just paid cash. I was faced with exactly this situation myself when I went back to university And after weighing up all options, that's exactly what I did. I paid as I studied. But each to their own here. And Chris is confident that the money he has already invested in the Colonel New Zealand 20 fund should be able to produce enough passive income to cover the money he has borrowed. And plan A is that once he is employed, he will pay off his student loans in full. However, he also said that under no circumstances will he sell his index funds, which already makes that plan dead in the water, does it not? So plan B 
is that when he works, using his teaching salary, he will aggressively pay off the money he's borrowed from the New Zealand government, that is, the taxpayer. That's enough about that, but safe to say I'm intrigued as to what Chris will do at the end of 2023 when he heads out to the workforce. What other important things will be pulling at this brand new income by that stage that will take precedence over paying off his interest-free debt? He put it well himself when he said that the podcast of Choose FI and Dave Ramsey have competing opinions on what to do here, and they are both right and both wrong all at the same time. And there is a reason why personal finance is called personal finance right. It's all up to you. So I wonder if, in regards to money, is there anything that keeps them up at night now? For Rosemary, it's not the money, it's her career. And with her current contract ending soon, she is thinking deeply about this. She knows exactly what she wants to do, be an ultrasound technician, but she is trying to work out the moves to get there. She said that getting the role of her dreams seems impossible some days, but say that word another way and it's I'm possible. I've already connected her up with people I know who work in this career field, but if you think you can help Rosemary, reach out to me and I'll connect you. For Chris, he is sleeping pretty soundly and his advice to you and I is to find the people who already have the results you are after and just model them because the blueprint for good personal finances is all there, written down in books like The Richest Man in Babylon. And the fact that this podcast got him underway shows that there are a lot of everyday Kiwis who have their finances under control, so seek them out, buy them a coffee and talk with them, or get a deep dive into their lives by simply listening to their stories as I tell them. So righto, bear with me, we're on the home straight now. I told you this was going to take a while, didn't I? But as I write these up, I'm always loath to leave out details in case that little bit of detail might resonate with you. For people listening to this, particularly to those in their teens and early 20s, I ask what advice Rosemary and Chris would have for them. Now, their advice to others is to not be complacent. Don't just imagine that you'll be a millionaire one day and expect to get there. You've got to actively do something about it. She strongly encourages any 18-year-old out there to open up a broad-based, low-fee index fund, drop some money in there to get started, pay the tiny fees they charge, and just start an automatic payment of $50 a month or whatever you can afford, and then just pay no attention to it at all. Log in and check your balance at the age of 30, and Rosemary guarantees you that you will go, oh shit, and be very impressed with the results of your efforts. So just set it up and leave it alone. Start small and build it, automate it, don't ever touch it. And why did someone not tell her that, she asked. At the end of our conversation, I asked them if they were happy, because to me, that's the whole point. The answer was a resounding yes. They are very happy and confident with their respective financial situations now. Rosemary was already a saver. She's built up a sizable net worth since starting from zero just a few short years ago. But she is really pleased she took the time to listen to Chris and then talk to people and listen to both their positive and negative experiences to help her get a broad overview. When she makes a decision now, she understands the risks first and then the benefits. Like when she looks at the bumpy road you might need to travel to get those forecasted 10-year great returns. And finally, a couple of resources for you over and above the ones I've already mentioned. Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. The Millionaire Next Door by Thomas Stanley. And I'd also add to that list Everyday Millionaires by Chris Hogan. Right, now before I wrap up, I have another quick message from today's sponsor. Thanks again to Pocketsmith for sponsoring The Happy Saver and helping me keep my own personal finances on track. 
If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, have we got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. Well done on listening to the end, but Chris couldn't leave it there though. And after we spoke, I received another email and amongst other things, it said this. After our chat with you, Ruth, we went for a walk. We realised that if we combined our emergency funds together to make a total of $15,000, then we can free up $3,500 to invest into our Kernel Index funds on Monday when the share market opens. Hmm, he wondered, why didn't we think of that earlier? Evolution is the word that comes to mind for this 34 and 35-year-old couple. Two lives merging and evolving into one. And it's been quite fascinating and rewarding watching it happen. Clearly, they always got on well. They had been a couple for a number of years before they discovered fire, but when Chris first stumbled upon the belief that everything he knew about money was wrong, he had a job on his hands convincing Rosemary that he had not just completely lost his mind. But he did convince her, using many different angles to explain fire to her and himself, and together they have become their own well-researched, forward-thinking investment advisors and they are on the right path to create the foundations of such a strong financial future in marriage. And I, for one, I'm just so happy for them. I kind of think they're both unstoppable now, and I really look forward to the next instalment of Rosemary and Chris that I'm sure will arrive in my inbox sometime in the future. So all the best, you two lovebirds, and just get in touch if I can ever help you out again. So that's all from me this week. I'll be back next Wednesday with another money journey of another Kiwi. And if you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com. And I would love it if you could leave me a five-star rating and review and share it with your friends because those are the best ways that people can learn about the podcast. And I'd absolutely love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and family and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving. Happy saving.